Our reading for tonight is from the, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, really, it's from the Gospels, but it's, uh, it's uh, Jesus' midrash on the law, really, I think. Matthew 5. Uh, you have heard that it was said to those in ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First to be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now you've heard it that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of unchastity causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And again, you've heard it said to those in ancient times that you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one, the word of the Lord. getting rid of it. You've probably heard about this. Maybe you've read, heard recently. That, yeah, they're throwing it out. After a history with roots that date back to 1849, they're getting rid of it. I mean, of course, it's been changed and rearranged a lot over the last 117 years, but this change is a big one. They're throwing it out completely. The food pyramid. That's right, they're getting rid of the food pyramid, that 
famous multicolored guide with the big broad thing on the bottom that says for your says your bread and your cereal and rice and pasta and then the next level a little bit smaller up there with your fruits and your vegetables and then it gets a little smaller yet and it's cheese and milk and yogurt and chicken and then at the top smallest yet but at the top you got your fat and you got your sugar you know the government started issuing dietary guidelines primarily to help uh, parents feed their kids better and that's pretty much how it's talked about today although you know applies to all of us but it's to help give some guidance so that parents will feed their children better but you know a hundred years ago the government issued these dietary guidelines because well there's this large migration from the rural areas to the cities. The Industrial Revolution was pulling families and workers into the manufacturing centers. And while the numbers of families at the subsistence level didn't change much, in the densely populated cities, families were without their garden plots and maybe their like cow and some chickens in the backyard. So many of these new urban dwelling youngsters they weren't getting enough to eat. They weren't getting enough to eat, and they certainly weren't getting enough of the right kinds of foods they needed. Now today, these guidelines sort of serve the opposite purpose. I mean, the departure of agriculture is now scrapping the food pyramid and simply saying, eat less food. <laughs> I mean, sure, of course, they say eat lots of fruits and vegetables. They still say that. Eat less meat and cheese and a lot less salt, fat, and sugar. But basically, eat less food. You know, I always thought that the food pyramid was kind of ill-conceived. I mean, how did they ever come up with this? I mean, come on. It was designed, I think, to give mixed messages. Clearly, it was designed in consultation with the processed food industry. I mean, it had to be. Look at it. Like, come on. They're not familiar with the concept of the pinnacle? I mean, really, a pyramid like moves from the earthly bounds of the mortal to the pinnacle where it touches God, touches the immortal. You don't put something you want people to avoid on a pinnacle. This is where you put the crown jewels, right? You know, the most desirable, sparkling loveliness. This is where the Department of Agriculture put salt, sugar, and fat. I mean, it's the pyramid of food desire, is what it is. That's how, you know, on the bottom you got bread or whatever, oatmeal, you know? commonplace. Then the fruit, a little bit more desirable. Then what's the next one? Chicken nuggets, hamburgers on the next level. And then the pyramid right at the top, the pinnacle, the pinnacle of every kid's desire when it comes to food, salt, fat, sugar. So, but the thing is, because of the pyramid's great success in fetishizing salt, fat, and sugar, the key ingredients in the building blocks of all processed foods, the Trilateral Commission, or I don't know, whoever it was, whatever amalgamation of 
government and finance and Yale graduates that decided how to maximize profit for the trusts, they realized they'd gone too far. They'd overshot the mark. They'd been, the food pyramid had been too successful, too successful at, at getting us to desire the fat and the salt and the sugar. They realized it'd been too far that... that the cost of the medical care for treating the diseases related to obesity and the pinnacle resulting from the pinnacle food diet, it was affecting their bottom line. I mean, they realized they had to scrap this. They had to scrap the pyramid and say, um, okay, stop eating so much food. You know, you're eating too much food. You've got to stop. You're, you're killing our profit margins. You know, there are people out there, learned people, beyond the control of the pinnacle trust, that have a different message. I even know myself, I have some connections with some, um, I guess what you would call them, insurgent nutritionists. (laughs) And they even say, no, you know what, you should feed your kids fat in the morning. Make them bacon. Use butter. Sugar, fine, use sugar. Sugar's good. I even heard an interview with a former secretary of the Department of Agriculture discussing these dietary guidelines, and I don't think it's a coincidence that he's a former secretary (laughs) beyond their reach. And he said, you know, I I do not worry. I I tell people not to worry about how much they eat. Don't worry about how much you eat. Don't worry about balancing food groups or counting calories, none of that. You can eat as much as you want. Let your kids eat as much as they want, as long as they don't eat any processed food. As long as they don't eat any processed food, if they eat real food, fresh vegetables, fruit, organic meats, cheeses, whole grains, your kids will be fine. They'll be better than fine. They'll be healthy. And the amount of fat, salt, sugar that will be eliminated from your diet by not eating processed, packaged, manufactured foods will far outweigh any concern you have about too much calories. Too much calories when your kids are eating too much good meat and real foods and whole grains and broccoli. Let them go at it. Butter. Good butter. Eat real food not processed, packaged foods, and you won't need to keep track of food groups, calories. So you don't need these dietary laws. Eat the way your great-grandparents ate, is what he said. Just eat the way your great-grandparents People have been eating this way for thousands and thousands of years. The way we produce and consume food now, it's been around for like 50 years is all. 50 years. So we can strike a blow against this secret organization with their pyramid. Come on, pyramid, that's a bit too obvious, I think. (laughs) We can strike a blow by eating like our grandparents did and be healthier and just eat what we want. Really, it was our our great-grandparents, maybe for some of us, or our grandparents, maybe even our own parents for some of us, But at some point, our foremothers and fathers, at the behest of the robber baron industrialists, 
severed their relationship with the land. And they traded in their relationship with the land for a relationship with a can, with a package, with the frozen. Well, um, amen. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I should talk a little bit about the text. I just, I wanted to, I just... Okay, the biblical text. I don't have too much time left, but uh, I think I can touch on some things real quick. All right, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. We're still reading the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' collection of ethical teachings, these guidelines on how to live. But as I mentioned before in past sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, um, there are a lot of really hard ethical teachings, maybe seemingly even impossible ethical teachings, telling us how we should live, and some other things that are kind of, well, I think over the top. Today's text is infamous for its over-the-topness, actually. I mean, the part of this reading that gets a lot of attention is the severing part. The severing part, the parts, the cutting off parts, the tearing out parts. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. I don't know why it has to be your right eye. Maybe your left eye is, I don't know, you know, you can't expect as much from your left eye. You know how the left eye is. It would be better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It would be better for you to lose one of your members than for your full body to be thrown into hell. Now, this one kind of messes me up a little bit. I mean, I get stuck because if you read a little bit further, it says not to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so I don't know if you then, if you cut off your right hand, your left hand doesn't know about it, which makes sense. You probably couldn't see it anyway because you tore out your right eye. <laughs> so it's, it's not going to know. But if you keep it up like this, if, I mean, what if your right leg causes you to sin and you have to cut that off? You're going to fall over. And your left side is going to get suspicious that something is being kept from it. I think this, there's more actually to this text than just the severing. Or maybe the severing is it. Maybe the severing might serve as a contrast to something else. It might just be a metaphorical kind of severing, like a food pyramid. This text begins by saying that the, the guidelines tell you not to murder. I say if you're angry with your brother or sister, you're liable for judgment. The guidelines say that uh, if you insult your brother or sister, you're liable. If you say you fool, you're liable to the hell of fire. These actions, I guess, are severing actions. Doing the things that sever relationships will lead to lopsided lives. You'll be unable to stand. You'll be half-blind. You'll have a half-blind sort of life if you live in these severing sorts of ways. Treat your brothers and sisters in these severing sorts of ways. So it says, if you're at the altar, you're about to give up an offering, and you've done something to sever a relationship with your brother or your sister, get up. Go get reconciled. It's not as important for you to practice the rituals of atonement 
as it is for you to actually get up and go get reconciled. And it's something you can do. You can do it now. And you'll be whole again. Whole in some way. This is the point of all of Jesus' ethical teaching, that we can live in whole, full relationships with each other. This has always been the basis of the law, to show us what it looks like to love each other. The presentation of the Ten Commandments in Leviticus 19 begins with God saying, You are holy because I am holy. You are holy because I am holy. And then it lists all these ways that we should treat each other as to bond together, to love each other, and not to sever relationships. And then it concludes with, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These ten guidelines are not a list of things you need to do to be holy, to be righteous. We already are. We start out that way. We are holy because God is holy. We are righteous because God is righteous. Because God has made us that way. In the Hebrew Bible, being righteous or holy is not the same thing as being perfect or without sin or super good. In the Hebrew Bible, being holy or righteous is the condition of being chosen by God to be God's people, God's children, in relationship, intimate relationship with God. We can live our lives, we can live lives that do not sever our relationships with our families or friends or strangers or the land or our bodies. We can love each other, love ourselves. And when we don't, we can be reconciled. We can go out and get reconciled because God chooses us and is choosing us, coming to us. Jesus the Christ is always coming, reconciling all to God's self. We can do this. We can live full and whole lives. Not because of our own will or our capacity, but because we have been made holy. We can love and live reconciling lives. We know how to. People have been doing it for hundreds and hundreds of years. Let's eat.